0: This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to the comeback. So good to be back. I'm here with my friend Justin Upchurch. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Trey. How are you, man? Good, good, man. So good to see you, um, Justin. And I worked together at a company called Start Church, and really some of the best days of my life. And we had a, a special friendship and love to cut up with this guy. He's one of the smartest people I know, um, we uh, also did a couple of, of weight loss workout challenges where I think I somehow won the first one and uh, and on the second one you you beat me.
1: Yeah, I came back with a fury.
0: <laughs> <You did. laughs> I Had more to lose. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being up until like eleven o'clock that night on the treadmill with a saran wrap, <laughs> t- trying to win, and you still beat me. But um, that's okay. <laughs> I can handle that. I can handle that loss. Um, Justin has an amazing story. Um, you just got your master's degree last year in industrial organizational psychology.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 2019 is when I got it. Okay. I know industrial organizational psychology uh, is a mouthful. So yeah. It is. What is that? Um, so essentially it's, it's the study of, of um, looking at uh, work life um, and looking at really the relationship between an employer and an employee um, and, and how that works. So you're looking, uh, you know, there are, talent assessments, talent management, um, looking at hiring practices. Um, one, making sure that they're you know, in compliance with the laws, but then also looking at uh, data, uh, people data, to see, okay, what, what's actually working in our hiring practices, or what's working in our, uh, our talent management practices, employee engagement, employee performance. Um, all of that is kind of encompassed within um, IO psychology. Uh, and so that's, that's what I went back and got my master's in. That's really cool. Yeah. Where'd you graduate from? Uh, I, got, oh, I got my undergrad at Kennesaw State. Okay. Uh, I got my, uh, my master's at the University of Georgia.
0: Nice. And you are a Georgia Bulldog fan. Uh, lifelong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're the real deal. Did you notice the Mississippi State Bulldogs winning a national championship this year?
1: Uh, that was in baseball, I did. <laughs> C- congrats to the Mississippi State Bulldogs. I want to see you know? if you had
0: enough humility. To get I do, a- <laughs> I do. If it was football, it'd probably be a different story. <laughs> it would be a harder, harder bullet to swallow, for yeah. sure. Um, well, I am grateful that you're here. Um, so many people that are listening to this story, or listening to this podcast, or your story specifically, um, are looking for hope. Um, some of them are on the front end of a journey after, mm-hmm. you know, walking out of, of, you know, for lack of better terms, a train wreck that, you know, whether it's been drugs and alcohol that has, has destroyed their lives or, you know, it's a family member that's looking for hope and for inspiration. And I know that you've got a credible story of, you know, walking through some adversity, never struggle with substance abuse. Right. Um, but, uh, but you have definitely walked through your challenges and so I'm excited to be able to get into your story, um, and um, I mean just just walk us through through some of that.
1: Well, I mean, for me, I've uh, been I was born and raised here in Georgia. You know, I've I've lived in Gwinnett County my whole life, and so I've you know grew up in a great family, uh, with a mom and dad who's awesome and, a, and an awesome sister. Uh, grew up going to church my entire life. You know, was, have been plugged in really as early as I can remember. And had a great childhood playing sports with friends, you know, playing in the neighborhood, all of that stuff. And I really couldn't have asked for a better childhood, uh, for better parents or better family and friends. I actually I, uh, met my wife at church. Uh, we were, you know, we went in uh, to youth group together um, over at Lawrenceville Church of God, and. Yeah. Uh, I guess I I first laid eyes on her when I was probably in eighth grade, and she was a year older than me. I was going after those older women. Okay. (laughs) I've got a
0: question. Okay. Your your wife is one of the funniest human beings on planet Earth.
1: She's very funny, but I oftentimes tell her that I'm funnier. Oh, really?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Was she that funny then? Um, Yes. Really? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) she
1: was uh, very funny, and I remember, uh, I do remember the first time I saw her, uh, we were actually visiting Lawrenceville Church of God for probably the first or few times there, trying to uh, get a gauge if that's what we wanted to make our new home church. And uh, I was sitting up in the balcony, uh, and I was looking down, uh, getting ready to leave the service, and I was looking down to where all the teenagers at the time would sit during the service. And um, all of a sudden, I, I saw Suzanne from up there, and I did a double take. Like, who is that? Yeah. And I think that's what started... Kind of pushed me to go to youth group on Wednesday nights. Like I got <laughs> to find all, out it's more. It's the girl. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I shouldn't say it was Jesus, <laughs> yeah, but it of was
0: <laughs> deep love for Jesus.
1: Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, just kind of thought like, wow, she's really pretty. I want to try to get to know her. But I was really kind of this shy kid. The shy guy wasn't, you know, that, you know, confident in my abilities to get a girl or whatever. And um, so, kind of just went the friend route. Um, actually, my sister became friends with Suzanne's younger sister, um, and then somehow Suzanne found out that I liked her to some degree. Um, and the thing is, when I was in eighth grade, I had uh, I had a full, full, uh, full-fledged mustache. Um, it wasn't a pretty mustache either. <laughs> and she, when she found out uh, that I liked her, she goes, "Ooh, rat boy." <laughs> And so my heart was shattered a bit, um, but we became friends despite, you know, her uh, her low blow to the, uh, what I thought was a pretty stellar mustache. Um, we became friends and we would hang out, you know, with other friends, you know, go after, you know, on youth group going to... Did you, you shave know, that?
0: Was that mustache like you intentionally like shaved around it or was it just there? You were just one that... that- it was there. I didn't have... Uh, like a, a
1: beard or anything, I did have some, you know, peach fuzz on my lower lip and chin, and I would shave that, but I would keep this. Oh, you kept the stash. I kept oh, it was intentional, so it was intentional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, oh, rat boy. So, um, let's see. We, you know, I eventually, sh- I did eventually shave it. Um, it was actually on a uh, went on a, a youth missions trip. Um and some of the guys had dared me to shave it off and I did. Uh, and I really kept it off ever since then. Unless, you know, I have a full beard now, but um yeah, Susanna became, you know, good friends and that, you know, I liked her at one point. She didn't like me, and then all of a sudden she started liking me a little bit later on. But at that time I didn't uh have those same feelings. Uh and so we were just friends hanging out and uh we, we ended up going to homecoming together. Um, and I, I, started looking at her a little bit differently again, like, okay, maybe there's something here. And, um, but then, you know, I remember some other guy took her to another homecoming and I got really jealous. And so, uh, long story short, we ended up, uh, dating, um, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think it was in November of 1997. Um, we were, I was, uh, she was at my sister's birthday party. And I was getting ready to leave because it was a spend the night party. So I was getting ready to leave to go spend the night with one of my friends. And I looked at Suzanne. And I said, so do you want to be my girlfriend or what? And she Love goes, it. okay. <laughs> so that's how our relationship started. Um, and we've been married now for uh, 20 years. May 19th was our 20-year our wedding anniversary. Um. But even kind of going back uh, to when we met um, you know I guess when she was a, a junior or no excuse me yeah well she was a junior. I was a sophomore um, and uh, 1998 she she got pregnant um, obviously it wasn't planned but uh, she got pregnant with um, our, our first child her name is Emily and. I remember that time, you know, very vividly, just kind of wondering, okay, what what's going to happen? And I re- I specifically remember one night when my parents and her parents uh, kind of came together with uh, the youth pastors uh, or the youth pastor and his wife um, at our at our church at that time, and to have a kind of a meeting or a discussion. I don't even really know what. They were discussing that it was it was at uh, Suzanne's parents' house, and so they're in one like living room area, and Suzanne and I are sitting in the den, <clears throat> and I remember, uh, you know, looking at Suzanne and 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 her and I talking and saying, you know, we don't we don't know how this is going to um, end up. You know, we knew that, you know, for, for us, the decision was we want to keep this baby. Uh, it was never a question of, of, of anything like that, but we didn't know as far as the two of us. Like, here we are, 16 and 17, you know, going to become parents. What's going to happen to our relationship? Uh, and so at that moment, we we decided together that no matter what happens, whether or not we stay together or not, um, that we're going to trust God to help us through this this new season, this new situation that, that we find ourselves in. Um, and that no matter what, we, we still want to have some sort of a, a a good relationship, whether we're together as a couple or not, for the sake of the baby that, you know, w- would be coming later that year in November. And so, I you know, long story short, you know, all of that, Emily was born in, in November of 98. And then Suzanne and I got married two and a half years later, we didn't yeah. get married right away. I told her I didn't I didn't want to marry her simply because uh she was pregnant. Um I wanted to make sure um I knew I loved her no doubt. I knew that, but um I wanted to make sure we did that part right. Yeah. Um and so in May of of 2001, that's when when Suzanne and I got married. Wow, it's incredible.
0: And Emily has yeah, em- yeah
1: Emily just graduated from uh, from the University of Georgia uh, go dogs Come on
0: uh, <laughs> whole family
1: yeah it's a it's a family thing now but she just graduated in uh, back in May uh, with her undergrad and um, I think she was a double major both political science and criminal justice Wow. Um, but that's not the direction she wants to go, which is cool. She's going to uh, go into the education wow. field. So I was about to say law school. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so she wants to, she's going to start out as a pair pro and eventually she wants to be a, a school counselor. So she's, she's smarter gonna, than you. Um, <clears throat> yes, <laughs> no, <There's, laughs> I'm very competitive.
0: I <laughs> know. Uh, no. uh, um,
1: <laughs> no, she's, she's super smart. Uh, and then we have two other kids as well, uh, Laurel and Gabe. Laurel is uh, seventeen. Gabe is uh, fifteen, and he's our what we call our gentle giant. Uh, he's fifteen, and he's uh, six foot six. Wow! Um, I literally like have to crane my neck up uh, when I'm talking to him. When I give him a hug, my my head rests on his chest, <laughs> uh, which is really weird um, as as a dad. Yeah. Um, but I, I still tell him like, even though you know you're. You know, I guess he's what seven or eight inches taller than me. I was like, I can still take you
0: down. That's right, dad strength. <laughs> that dad strength. You listen man? up, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's that's it. So so y'all got married,
1: yeah, um, yeah. We got married in two thousand one, and uh, let's see, Laurel came in two thousand four, gave in two thousand six. So by the time I was in my mid twenties, I guess I was twenty five. We had three children. Not a lot of money coming in. Um, you know, I was working manual labor jobs, you know, and, and we had made the decision, um, you know, for Suzanne really to kind of stay home. Um, since we had three small kids, you know, we wanted her to, uh, you know, to raise them, you know, as far as like in the home and stuff. And, and so that was a sacrifice that we made, you know, because I wasn't making very much money, but um, I was doing that, going to school at night, you know, it ended up taking me, you know, really in in full about 12 years to get my undergrad. Wow. Because I was taking only two classes, you know, I was working full time, taking two classes at night. Uh, Suzanne's at home during the day, you know, and even for a little while in our marriage, she would, uh, you know, serve tables at night, you know, as a waitress, you know, just trying to bring in her some extra, you know, income, or she would watch, you know, her sister's kids to help. Uh, And so we had a lot going on, but... You know, we may not have had a lot of money and it was, it was like living from paycheck to paycheck for us, but, you know, God provided for us. Yeah. Um, we never went without food. We never were unable to pay our bills. You know, we, we trusted God, you know, and I think it, it kind of dates back to that one conversation that we had. We like, no matter, we don't know what the future holds for us, but we're going to trust God in this moment. And I think that statement kind of became maybe this kind of this mantra for us, I guess, but it's not like we talked about our trust in God all the time. I just think that's what we did. Yeah. Because I think that was the only choice we had. Yeah. Um, trust God or, or what, you know? And, and so God, time and time again, throughout <clears throat> early on in our marriage, and proved himself to be faithful and, and he provided for us. Um, it may not have always been a traditional way, you know. You know, parents may help us out or whatnot. You know, time and time, you know, oh, here's here's some money for groceries. Here's a gift card. But you know, we we took that as God God's faithfulness
0: towards us. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. And so did all of that, and then really, like like at what point? I mean, I don't know if it's whenever y'all worked at Start Church. You know, you started doing a bunch of writing, you know, uh-huh. and then I, you know, really, I guess, started to excel in your professional career and then go back, you know, your, you know, decision to go back and finish your education.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. So I, I finished my my undergrad from uh, Kennesaw State uh, in, in 2012. Um, and at the time I was actually working in Kennesaw and we were still, uh, we were living in Lawrenceville. And so it was about a 50 mile one way drive for me, every, you know, day in and day out. And and so after I graduated, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to find a job back on on our side of town. And so I was looking, couldn't, you know, I applied at a couple places, had a couple interviews, uh, nothing ever landed. And then one day, so Suzanne was already working at Start Church. Uh, One day I kind of jokingly said, hey, do you think Start Church would hire me? And she said, probably. She said, I think we're hiring right now. Uh, And so at the time she talked to uh, the director of consulting. Sure enough, they were they were hiring. They were looking to hire pretty quickly, and said, "Hey, just get your application in." And so, got my application in, did a phone interview, then had an in person interview. Uh, and they said, "Okay," uh, they ended up making me a job offer, uh, but needed me to start within like a week of making me the offer. Uh, and so, I'd been at the the company I was with for almost five years, and was going to be unable to provide a, a two week notice, which I hated. Yeah. Um, but I thought <clears throat> I think this is the right move um, even though I was also being offered what I would be making at start church was ten thousand dollars less than what I was making at my current job oh wow and so I thought well I'm gonna be back on this side you know I kind of did the math of being back home you know on this side of town you know I, I figured out my driving time I was spending roughly 22 days each year in the car yeah just. From the time i was driving and so i thought no i think it's going to be worth it i think it's worth kind of that risk per se and even my last week at my my job before going to start church my boss approached me and said hey if you stay uh would you stay for an extra ten thousand a year uh, and i said i have to think about that uh because essentially that would be about a twenty thousand dollar difference yeah thought about it prayed about it talked with suzanne and Said, no, it's it's not, you know, it's not about the money. Yeah. Um. Well, I say all that to say that my first year at Start Church, so I started at Start Church in 2013. I ended up making way more money at Start Church than I at that year than I would have if I had stayed at my other job.
0: Even with the twenty thousand. Even
1: with that, yeah, that ten thousand dollar increase, um, it just you know I. It, Guess you could say, <clears throat> kind of got lucky. We started a, a writing project at Start Church, and I, you know, I was like, "Hey, I, I can write. I just spent buku years in, in school writing papers. Like, I can write on the tax code and how yeah. it applies to churches, and you know, I got some extra money for it, and it was a total blessing. And so, yeah, when I started working at Start Church and, uh, you know, writing, and then eventually getting into the the HR role uh, there, that's when Uh, things really from a financial perspective started turning and changing for us. You know, we weren't living from paycheck to paycheck. We were actually able to put some in savings each week. And yeah. And then went back to school. Yeah, went back, went back to school to finish uh, or to get a master's degree. I knew when I uh, finished my undergrad, I knew that one day I'd want to go back and at least get my master's degree. I didn't know what it, what it would be in, but I knew I'd want to at least get a, a master's degree, and so uh, did did that, and started that in 2017, uh, and then finished uh, my my master's degree in 2019. And me going back and getting my my master's is really what kind of propelled me into the uh, the human resources role at Start Church, because um, essentially that's what I was studying to a degree. You know, yeah. I, I noticed that there was a need at Start Church to have someone kind of manage and facilitate human resources and it coincided with what I was studying in my master's program. Uh, so I thought, Hey, let me do it. Um, and that's, that, you know, that's how I got into HR at start church and,
0: um, and so forth. Yeah. How was Suzanne when you going back to school second time?
1: Yeah, it took, it took, uh, some convincing, um, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely tough. Um, you know, the first time around, you know, me, you know, essentially working full time then being, uh, you know, going to, to class at night. And then even on the nights that I wasn't in class, uh, I was having to study, read or write papers or uh, or whatnot. And so it it was rough on our marriage uh, as far as just uh, there's not a lot of time to connect, uh, to have that uh, that that in those intimate moments that, you know, I think are necessary for a husband and wife to have, for, yeah. to have a healthy marriage. Um, and, and it just put, there were some other, you know, stressors along with that that came with that. So, uh, you know, we, we worked through those, you know, when I, when I graduated. Uh, and then I brought this up and it, it said, hey, I want to go back and get my master's. And so, you know, we talked about it and, uh, you know, prayed about it. And, um, you know, she ultimately felt, okay, like, I think this will be a good thing. I think you can do it. Um, and, and so she, you know, gave me her, um, not necessarily approval, but just her support. You know, I, I would definitely, I didn't want to go back and do it if I didn't have her support. Yeah. Uh, so she, she gave me her support and, you know, ended up, uh, you know, that's when I applied and,
0: and got into the program there at UGA. Crushed it. Crushed it, man. Yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit. I uh, will never forget reading a post that you put out on social media um, about a diagnosis with ALS, mm-hmm. and and I'll just never forget reading that and you know trying to get my mind around you know somebody that was so driven, so talented, that has worked and has been through everything that you've been through, and really at this big you know, shift in your life where, you know, you just finish your master's degree, you know, you're part of leadership and, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just everything going that way to get hit with something like that. And, uh, we just talk with us about that.
1: Uh, yeah. So, um, well, I, I first started noticing, uh, I guess you could say symptoms or changes with, with my body actually the second, it was the second to last semester of, of grad school. Um, my arms, my biceps would involuntarily twitch. And I thought, you know, that's weird. Um, you know, I've never, it's never done that before. And I thought, okay, well maybe it's just due to, you know, stress, uh, lack of sleep. I've been in this, this program for going on two years now. So maybe there's, you know, once I am out, and I kind of have a regular schedule again. I'm not as stressed and I'm getting more sleep. Uh, maybe this will subside. Uh, well, after I graduated, um, you know, the twitching, per, you know, continued and it had actually started, you know, in, in my, my thighs a little bit. And so I uh, went to a neurologist um, and to get it checked out and they did some tests, you know, uh, muscle tests and uh, they did a, what's called an EMG uh, to check out what's going on. And, um, I believe at that, uh, at that time they ruled out Parkinson's disease. Um, and really she just diagnosed me with, uh, what she called benign fasciculation syndrome, uh, which is essentially just involuntary muscle twitching. Uh, she informed me that about 70% of the population, uh, deals with benign fasciculations, uh, to some degree, and it's really nothing to be concerned about. Um, you know, she's like, if, because it it didn't hurt, uh, it just you know was constantly twitching. Um, I son "Thought okay, well, I guess I'm good to go." Um, so I didn't really give it much thought, and then uh, I guess so we're into to 2020, and then uh, you know the, the pandemic hits, and I was, you know, I was a fairly active uh, you know individual. You know, I'd go to the gym. Um, you know, I was you know taking the uh, gym I was going to, I was doing those hit workouts, those high intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get buff. You know, that's, that's what I was, you know, out to do. Yeah. Uh, then the pandemic hits and then the gym closes down. So I, um, can't go to the gym, but so I just start running in the neighborhood, um, you know, probably about four or five days a week. I'm going for jogs, uh, along with some other, you know, kind of small resistance training that I can do at home. Um, just, you know, cause I like being active. I like kind of pushing myself, um, to see how far I can go. And, you know, I like that exertion. I like that challenge. Yeah. Um, and I started noticing, um, once the gyms had started opening back up, uh, I guess probably three months after they had shut down or so I would go back into the gym, you know, one day a week, uh, just, you know, cause I still had the membership and I noticed, uh, doing some of the, the weights, you know, so, you know, curling or, you know, butterflies that, um, like using the same weights I could was a, was, it was a bit of a sh- struggle. It wasn't as, you know, not, yeah, I guess, easy as, uh, and I thought, man, have I lost that much strength, you know, in just a few months, right. um, didn't really think about it. And then I, I started noticing that with my hands, um, uh, you know, they would cramp up, uh, pretty easily. I'd have some hand dexterity, uh, troubles with, you know, doing some fine motor skills sometimes, uh, nothing that, uh, I really thought much about cause it was, you know, just <clears throat> a little bit here and there. And so I thought perhaps, well, you know, I'm, I'm typing essentially all day having to use a computer and everything. Um, maybe I'm getting carpal tunnel syndrome. Um, you know, my mom had had it before. Um, so I thought maybe I, maybe that's what I have. And Susanna at the time was telling me like, because the, the twitching had uh, essentially progressed to where, I mean, it was just it was in my chest. Um, and it's really kind of nonstop. Um, sometimes it's more, uh, there's more intensity than others, but the twitching was nonstop. And so she was pushing me to go back to a neurologist. I got a different neurologist this time. And so finally I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm not the kind of person who is really big on going to the doctor. Right. Um, you know, you, you know, I just thought unless I have, you know, unless I'm got a bone sticking out, I think I'm fine. Yeah. Um, Cause I've been healthy my entire life. Right. Um, never had any medical uh, major medical issues. Um, and so I was very hesitant to, to go back. Um, but I, I made an appointment with one over near uh, Gwinnett Medical um, and thought, okay, hey, I'll just... Thinking, okay, I guess it's going to be carpal tunnel, so I guess I'll just have to uh, <clears throat> do whatever you'd have to do to my hands or my wrist to, to help it go away. So I remember the first appointment I had at that neurologist, uh, sitting in there, and he walks in. Uh, the first thing he says to me is, well, you're a little too young to be seeing me. What's going on? Uh, and so I'd caught him up to speed about the twitching, about what the other neurologist had said, and and then I showed him my hands. I was like, oh, by the way, I said, my hands, I can't close my fingers all the way. Um, I was like, I think I have carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, and he didn't even... I, it's like he didn't even acknowledge that you know carpal tunnel. He said, "Okay." He said, "Well, uh, I'm going to have to do some tests. You know, I'm going to do another EMG. He said this time, um, you know, because I, I told him I had noticed uh, that I was losing. It felt like I was losing strength." Um, and he said, "Well, I'm going to do another EMG. This time, it's going to be a little bit more invasive. And essentially, what an EMG is is <clears throat> they put needles in you know different." Parts of your your muscles in your thighs or in your your arms, um, and it sends like these electrical shocks or, or waves through your muscle, and it sees how your nerves respond. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not very comfortable, um, and That's so he like did a he, he you know was a little bit more invasive this time around, and uh, and he had asked me. He said, "Well, what are your concerns?" And this was before he did any test, and I said, "Well." I said, my concern is maybe it's something uh, like MS. Um, I said, but my wife, on the other hand, her concern is that it could be ALS. But I'm thinking, like, no way. Like, ALS, that's that's a rare disease. Um, I think maybe in the United States, there may be, in a given year, twenty to 30,000 people who, who are living with ALS. Like, I'm like, but I'm, I said, my wife, She's been reading some of those articles on the internet. And I said, I don't, I don't think she's right. He says, all right. He says, well, we got, some, we have some tests to do, so let's uh, do that. So he did the MG a few weeks later, um, and then after that, uh, he's like, well, I can, I can tell you that you don't have MS. And he kind of just stops there. And I said, okay. And he kind of keeps going, um, and I said, okay. Well what are you actually thinking then? You know, I, I kind of pressed him like when he told me it's not MS and then he just, to me it felt like, okay, he's leaving something out. Um, and so I kind of pressed him a little bit like, what are you actually thinking uh, that this is? And he says, well, to be honest with you, uh, he says, I'm, I'm thinking it's ALS. Um, and at that moment, I'm just kind of sitting there and I'm just like, you know, you kind of feel like, the world coming down like it wasn't a diagnosis, but that's hearing it from a doctor, uh, a specialist. That this is what he's thinking. It's kind of like okay, like how do I take that? So, um, but he said we, you know, he wants to do an MRI. Um, and he, you know, the the way to diagnose ALS is really through a process of elimination. So he wanted to do an MRI. So he scanned my spine and and my neck and see. Really, if there's anything else going on, uh, there are several diseases that can mimic ALS, um, but there and there's no specific test, uh, you know, or X-ray or blood work that would actually tell a neurologist that oh, it's ALS. Mm-hmm. It's through a process of elimination. So he wanted to go that you know the route of the MRI, and so from that from that appointment when he told me what he thought it was to having the actual MRI was about a month. There was about this four week period. Um, and, you know, I, I, at first I almost didn't tell Suzanne that the doctor thinks it might be ALS because that was already a concern of hers. And I still was like, no way, yeah. like, you know, it even, you know, like thinking, well, it mim- there's a lot of stuff that mimic ALS. Surely it's something like that. Or even to some degree, I was perhaps kind of hoping that, well, maybe there's some sort of tumor on my spine uh, that's, you know, maybe pinching some nerves or causing some of this, this weakness that maybe they can go in and surgically remove that tumor or whatnot. Um, but I ended up, you know, telling Suzanne about it. And, and so we had about a month before the MRI and um, I'm actually kind of thankful um, that we had that month simply because um, after the MRI, um, I had um, two days later, I had a follow up appointment with that neurologist, um, and that's when he gave me the diagnosis of ALS. So I'd had about a month or so to be able to contemplate well, what if it is ALS? And I think that helped soften the blow to a little bit. I was still, I remember sitting there and him coming in and saying, well, I've got the results of your MRI. Um, he said, I'm just going to get to the point. He says, I'm diagnosing you with ALS. And you just kind of feel like the world stops for a minute. Um, and, you know, immediately I, I kind of get into this mode where I kind of, okay, well, what's next? Or how do I fix things? And so I start asking questions. Um, ultimately, he, he refers me. You know, I said, well, I asked him, I said, what are your thoughts on a second opinion? I said, no offense to you, but what are your thoughts on me getting a second opinion? Um, He says, well, he said, one, you know, you don't have to worry about offending me. I'm not offended. He said, but I was actually going to recommend that. And so he he recommended me to go uh, to the Emory ALS clinic for a second opinion. So even then there was a part of me that's clinging on to, well, maybe it was a misdiagnosis because it's not an easy disease to diagnose. Um, But at the same time there was a part of me that even before he gave me the diagnosis, um, you know, I would go on walks in the neighborhood and I would, I would just be praying like, what is this going to look like? And I really felt as if something within me told, like, just, yeah, it's ALS. Uh, And I kind of, I didn't freak out or I just kind of had like, okay, I, I, you know, if that's it for sure, then okay. Um, and so, you know, throughout that, that time before, uh, you know, having, um, getting the second opinion, um, you know, Suzanne and I had um, in a lot of conversations, you know, you know, we cried a lot. You know, I've, I had my moments when I kind of just broke down and lost it, um, you know, had moments when I was, was angry and, um, you know, I, I kind of just felt the whole gamut of, of emotions, um, and and through those conversations, Suzanne and I would talk a lot about love and about hope. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, we were also scared, you know. But we kind of kept coming back to these conversations about love and hope. And I remember one night, uh, I'm I'm laying in bed and I, I can't go to sleep. Um, I'm having trouble. I'm just my, I feel like my mind is just running a million miles an hour. And um, I'm kind of just praying, like, God, just help me to, you know, help me to just be able to rest tonight. Help me, you know, help my mind to calm down, help it to be quiet. Um, And then I just kept hearing over and over, uh, you know, love always hopes, love always hopes, love always hopes. And I kept hearing as well, God is good, God is good, God is good. Um, and those two phrases just kept reverberating within my spirit. Um, and I said, well, okay, God, I, I don't know. I also kind of had a, a vision, so to say, of um, love always hopes, but with um, certain letters within each word would be... Uh, represented by a, a birth month flower of each of my three kids, mm-hmm. and so I just said, I just thought in the morning, or I thought to myself that night, okay, in the morning I'm going to ask Suzanne to make me a logo, make me a, I don't know why. And after that, I said, okay, like I'll ask her to do that. You know, I went to sleep. Um, I woke up the next morning. I said, standing in the kitchen with Suzanne, I said, hey, I don't know why, but I think I want you to make me a logo or a graphic of some sort because um, she had been uh, teaching herself really kind of just graphic design and making logos and stuff. So uh, I said, you know, I'll give you the creative freedom. I said, but this is what I'm kind of thinking. Love always hopes, but with one letter in each word with the birth month of a flower of each of our kids. Um, and so that's, you know, she made me that and she ended up making me a website um, and, and really that's kind of been um, our, our theme through this, this journey so far um, is, is that of hope and that love always hopes um, that's, you know, and, 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 don't get me wrong. I mean, um, you know, I, am I still have my moments where I'm, I'm, I'm just as scared as I, as I was when uh, I, I got the diagnosis. Uh, or when I thought it was a possibility. Um, you know, I have those moments when, you know, I want to throw in the towel right now and just say, what's the point? Um, but every day, I, I'm, I'm learning every day is a battle. Um, you know, it's not just the physical battle with what's taken place with my body. You know, the progression, uh, you know, I, I, I can feel... You know, the progression taking place in my arms, my hands, and my shoulders predominantly. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't even curl a 10-pound dumbbell right now if, if you dared me to or if you said I'll give you $100. Couldn't do it with one arm. Um, you know, I have trouble, being, you know, like, you know wearing this jersey. I, I couldn't button it up before I left the house this afternoon. I had my daughter do it you because know, I can't. I don't have the, the hand dexterity or even the strength to push the buttons through. Um, So I'm facing all of this and and I'm realizing that every day is a battle, not just physically, but mentally, probably more so than anything else right now for me, is that this is a mental battle that I'm I'm having to go through because each day I'm having to wake up and make a choice. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust in his goodness? Am I going to trust in his love and trust in the hope that he's providing? Or am I going to just give up right now? Um, and so those are the questions that I'm having. You know, I can always ask myself why me, but I think that's the wrong question to ask because I can ask that a million times and I can ask that now until the day, uh, that I'm no longer on this earth and I'll never know the answer. I'm, you know, but that's not the question for me to ask. The question is, what am I going to do about the? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? What am I going to do? Am I going to trust God, or, or how can I use this, or how can God use this? You know, really, even just to bring Him glory, um, because you know it, it's it's what what's intended for for bad, God can make good. That's right. Um, and so that's what I'm 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 kind of just having to constantly, just kind of almost meditate on, and, yeah. and just and some days you know, are, are easier than others. Uh, and, and other days, I, I'm, I I question, do I actually believe that? Um, but that's just, you know, that, that I think that's a part of being human and a part of the journey. And, uh, you know, I don't think God is ever, you know, when I do have my moments of uh, doubt or, or just whatever i'm feeling i don't i don't think he's offended at it but i think he he is ready there to embrace me more more so than ever um i just have to make the choice to to lean into
0: him yeah even more yeah that that's what you know what i'm I'm so fascinated by and and you know even whenever we talked a couple of months ago whenever we were eating lunch Mm -hmm. and um you know, your, your perspective. And, and I'd really like to hit on that too, because, you know, you're, you're sitting in a, in a space right now and, and have perspective. Um, I mean, we're, how are you? 39, 30, 40. 40 in September. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm 41, uh, you know, young family there's, you know, right now, I mean, there's just so many guys that are running a hundred miles an hour, grinding, you know, trying to get the bigger house, trying to get the nicer car, trying to, you know, just, right. just, 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 there, we're just caught in, you know, in that that system, if if you will. Can I mean, can you just talk about some of the perspective shifts that have, you know, happened?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I was definitely, um, you know, I, I guess you could say a, a, a part of that rat race. You know, that I, I was. I, I was going as hard and as fast as I could go, um, you know, whether that was you know just solely at work or you know at work and at school and um, just looking at like what's next? What else can I do? What else can I accomplish? Um, you know, I don't know if you're you're familiar at all with the Enneagram. Uh, I'm an Enneagram three, which is like an achiever or performer. And so I'm always looking like, okay, what else can I do? How can I, how can I be the best, you know, or how can, um, you know, I, I, what, what can I do to almost impress others, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I, I, was not slowing down and there were even moments when Suzanne told me like, you need to slow down a little bit. Like you're just, you know, you're, you're not stopping, even though you're done with school, you're, you're not allowing yourself, uh, to take a break. And in my head, I was like, "There's no time to take a break." You know, uh, there, there's a lot to to accomplish and a lot to get out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, boom, this happens. You know, uh, the the diagnosis with ALS. And I'm, I'm I'm not saying that 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 because I was running that race. You know, 99 miles an hour. That's why I got. I'm not saying that at all. Right. But it definitely slowed me down. Uh, it's caused me to kind of. Look at things differently. Um, you know what what's actually important. Um, you know, my wife actually asked. She's like, you know, if uh, if if you hadn't had received this diagnosis, do you think you've actually would have slowed down? I said, no, probably not. Um, and again, I, I'm not. I'm not the kind of person who, you know, believes that. Uh, you know, well, God gave this to me, you know, to teach me a lesson or, you know, but I do believe that having this diagnosis, I, I think um, God can use it to his glory. And, you know, I think maybe it, it's caused me to shift to like, what is important? What is it that, you know, are, are you wanting to, to teach me something through this season, you know, is, is what I'm asking God you know, what are you wanting to teach me or how can you use me um, through this? So that's, um, you know, what I, I've, I've come to realize is that what's important is, is what's right in front of me is my family, my friends. Um, you know, it's not about necessarily, you know, having the, the right job title. Um, or having the highest salary or, you know, the, the fanciest of things like those are great. Um, but there's so much more, um, to, to this life, you know, and there's, I wish, you know, I guess, you know, I, I, I cause I was so content on, so focused on trying to, to run that, win that race that mm-hmm. oftentimes I, I, I didn't really take the time uh, to really look around and, and and enjoy the moment that I was in. Yeah. I'm always looking forward to the next thing and not enjoying the moment that I'm in. Um, and so, you know, what I'm, one of the things I'm trying to do now, um, is enjoy the moment that I'm in each moment that I have, um, whether it's, you know, a simple dinner, you know, with the family or, uh, you know, maybe just watching TV, you know, uh, one night or playing a game or whatever it might be, going for a walk, yeah. um, even by myself, enjoying that, that ability um, to be able to go on a walk. Um, you know, I had recently read, and I think I talked to you a little bit about this, um, you know, when we had lunch mm-hmm. uh, a month or so ago, but I had, I had read one of uh, Michael J. Fox's memoirs. And it's his most recent one actually. And, you know, he, he's been diagnosed. He's been living with Parkinson's disease for about, uh, I want to say 30 years now. Um, And, you know, if you do a quick Google search on Michael J. Fox, or if you hear any of his interviews um, he's kind of become known as this, this optimistic guy. Um, You know, even given the fact that he's, he's been living with Parkinson's, you know, he's, he's got an optimistic view on life is, kind of what he's become known for. Um, and in his book, he's talking about, well, you know, and he's had his moments, you know, just like where he's been in, you know, kind of in the pit and just, yeah. uh, it's kind of sulking or, or you have your moments, no doubt, but he, he was re, um, you know, kind of just talking back about a conversation he had once had with, with his father-in-law um, who, you um, I had passed a while back, and he said, from what he recalls, is, his father in law had told him, you know, is that with gratitude, optimism is sustainable. Um, and I read that, and I, because at the moment I was kind of feeling a little bit sorry for myself, yeah. um, you know, kind of just beating myself up a little bit or allowing these negative thoughts uh, to, to have some sort of an effect on me. And I read that and I just kind of pause and I'm like, oh, what? And so immediately I started just thanking God for all of the little things that I was able to do that day, that I was able to one, actually get up and get out of bed, that I was actually able to brush my teeth on my own, that I was actually able to take a shower on my own. I was actually able to get dressed on my own. I was able to walk downstairs, like all of these little things, just thanking God for the ability that I had that day to be able to accomplish. Yeah. Um, And I tell you what, as soon as I just started having that heart of gratitude, like that, that, that heaviness or that, that, that desire to kind of let those negative emotions affect me and, and weigh me down started lifting. Um, And so that's kind of how, how my perspective has changed since, since this diagnosis is, you know, being grateful for, for the, the small things in life, um, for the things that is easy to to look past and, and, and look upon as perhaps not important. Like, they're more important than we realize. They're yeah. more important than we give them weight or value. Um, and so that's that's where I'm at, you know. I, I'm trying to, like I said, it's a battle every day. Um and I'm trying to to make that decision to be grateful for each day. And you know, yes, there are some things that I can't do today that I was able to do three months ago. But I'm not going to concentrate on that or let that be the main headline for me. But it's what can I continue to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the perspective I'm I'm moving forward with with this disease.
0: Yeah. So good. I was listening to a speaker today, I think it was Mark Batterson, and he was referencing, um, I think it's Gary Smiley or Smalley or something, writes a lot of books on, on marriage. And he said, you know, most marriages are 80% good and 20% bad. And he said, you know, the difference is in the people that make it, where they're going to focus on the 20% that's bad, mm-hmm. or they're going to focus on the 80% that that's good. And that really is this, this factor, you know, and, and that is You know that's marriage. I mean, I'm sitting here in in, in a completely different um, situation where you know you're you're you know candid to share about dark nights of the soul and even whenever I think about the life of Joseph, you know, we 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 look and you know and what that what that had to have been like for him to have this dream to find himself in prison and and granted he always you know looked for a way to be able to improve the situation that he was in. Mm -hmm. There's no way that you're going to make me believe. That there were some serious nights of just thinking, what in the world? Right, like this right. is this this cannot be what you know you've you've got for me, um, and uh, I'm just so impressed to you know to think about you know I mean just just how much you know you you value life. You've got an incredible family, um, you know, children that that are awesome, and you guys just got off of a two week. Road trip out west. Yep, um, didn't kill each other. Nope. <laughs> <You> know, <it's laughs> thought so. about it. But. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just you know, and I, I just, you know, and that's another thing too that I, I remember you, you bringing up is, is just in those years of, you know, of of grinding and working hard, um, but still remembering, you know, that you know maybe they didn't have to be a lot of these elaborate trips that you're taking. Um, but still, you know, if if there would have been more, you know, focused time, mm-hmm. you know, that's spent.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, when I was uh, working full time and and in, in school for my undergrad, um, there there was a couple of semesters, I believe, mm-hmm. when, you know, I would put my kids to to bed on a Sunday night, and I knew I wouldn't see them until Friday night when I got back home, just because that's how crazy my schedule was. And that's when, uh, you know, my, my kids were probably at that, I mean, Gabe was probably two or three or something like that. And, um, I missed a lot of that, that time, uh, with them as, as little kids. And then, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been able to go, I've been blessed to be able to, to take each of my kids on, Uh, on trips at various locations across this country. You know, Emily and I went to Boston. Laurel and I went to to Portland, Oregon, and and Gabe and I went to Montana. Um, But, you know, I I had thoroughly enjoyed those moments, but then I got to thinking to myself, like, you know, why didn't I take, why did it come to something like this, receiving this diagnosis that made me say, okay, hey, I want to take my kids on a trip. Um, Why not, why wasn't I doing that? And like, you know, like I told you at lunch, it doesn't have to be anything elaborate, but hey, you know, Gabe and I are going to, we're going to go to Chattanooga for the day, you know, do some hiking, or I'm going to take Emily, you know, to, to the beach for the weekend or something, you know, just something simple, or maybe just to the aquarium or, hey, you know, whatever it could be, something that I was just being more intentional. And that's the thing is where my intention was, I think at that time, it wasn't in the right place. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I was, I was pursuing something else that, um, it had a cost. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think there's always that, uh, that opportunity cost, you know, essentially that, you know, Hey, you can pursue this, but it's going to cost you this. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it, it, it cost me just, more, more precious time that I could have had with my kids and stuff when they were, you know, younger than, um, that I, you know, kind of looking back, I, I I wish I would have done, but you know, I'm not going to live today and, 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 you know, regret for the past decisions I made, you know, I'm, I'm thoroughly glad, glad that I got my, my undergrad and my master's degree. Um, you know, I, I wasn't doing that just, for myself, I was also doing all of that because I wanted to be able to provide uh, a, a better, you know, life, you know, for my kids.
0: Um, but it, it came at a cost. So. Yeah. No, I just I, I think it's it's just so good because obviously there's you know I know that. You know, what I got from that was is that you're not saying, Hey, don't don't work hard, don't right. you know, do what is necessary to be able to build a life for your family. But also there, there's just so there's very few things in our society that get people's attention like me to say, Hey, I need to, to like take a look at my life. Yeah. You know, to make sure that I don't look back one day and say, Okay, we've built the empire or we've done, you know, all of this great stuff. But I, I don't I don't know my kids. Right. And and I think there's 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 you know, and that's what I'm I'm hopeful is that when people listen to this podcast that they are hearing this um, and just saying, you know what, there there's nothing wrong with hard work and and doing all those things that are necessary to be successful, but I have to make sure that I sit down and, and ascribe value to the things that really are the most important.
1: Yeah, I absolutely, I agree. You know, there's nothing wrong with ambition and wanting to be successful uh, and wanting to be the best. Um, but I think it's a matter of, do you have the right balance in life? Um, that's, you know, I I wish I would have been, I, I wish I would have been better at, at finding a balance,
0: um, in years past than I was able to. I'm sure if your family was here, they would say that you crushed it and, and did it right. Of course they would. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I, I just, you know, just just sitting here listening to, to your story um, and and being marked with gratitude and love and hope and the goodness of God... You know, in the middle of so much. And, and that's the thing. I mean, when you're, even whenever you think about addiction and alcoholism and, you know, people getting, you know, diagnosed with a disordered brain chemistry that they didn't ask for. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so many people just, you know, sitting around wondering, like, why, why is it that all my friends can go out and drink beer on the 4th of July you know, and not run their life off of a cliff, right? You know, and 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 again, you coming back like, hey, that that's not the right question to ask. Like, I I don't know why these things happened. I don't know why I was raised in the environment that I was raised in. I don't know why this this tragedy may have had to happen, you know. But to sit with somebody that is you know walking through it, going through it like you are, and the hope and the elements of saying, man, this is this is how you come back from something like that and still live a life that is super fulfilling, man. It's just yeah. powerful. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I was actually just thinking, just
1: uh, I, I just finished reading a book uh, by Erwin McManus. Are you familiar with him? He's a pastor out in Los Angeles. Um, and I, I finished, I guess it's his most recent book. It's called the way of the warrior. And it's the ancient path to enter peace. Um, and Throughout the book, I guess each chapter is like a code for, uh, you know, a key or whatnot for um, the, the warrior. And the last one uh, that really kind of, there was several that resonated me resonated with me. One was, um, you know, the warrior uh, f- frees their mind. Um, and the last one is a warrior stands in their pain. Um, and in that chapter, he talks about... Um, Elijah, when uh, he's uh, essentially challenged the prophets of Baal uh, to kind of like a, a, a duel, like, let's see whose God is God, you know, and they they build the altars and whichever God rains down fire, then that's the one that's going to prove to be uh, the true God. And the, the prophets of Baal do all of their, 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 chants or their 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 dances they even get to the point where they're cutting themselves uh, and to where they, you know i think the, the the scripture says that you know that bl- the blood is is gushing you know from from them uh, and nothing happens so then it, it's elijah's turn and he orders for you know water to be poured all over the, the altar and then there's even a trench that has uh i guess water in it and then he prays and then the fire of god comes out and just consumes it well, after that, uh, you know, here's this great victory, right, mm-hmm. that Elijah just had, proving um, who is God. And, and, and it's really him kind of showing up. They're like, hey, you know, Elijah's like, could essentially say, I just called upon God and he rained down fire. Look at me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, I guess it's Ahab and Jezebel put a price on his head. And so what does Elijah do? He runs for his life. Um, and, and what Erwin was, was getting at is that he just had this great victory, and he's he's running for his life, and he gets to the point where he's hiding under a broom bush, and he asks God, "Just take my life now." And he's like, "How does he get from that great victory to this to to this low point in his life in his life right afterwards?" Um, and he he goes on to say uh, in the in the chapter is that. Sometimes after our greatest victories, we're going to be standing in some of our darkest moments. Um, and I, I, I looked at that, and I thought to myself, like, uh, you know, I, I think Suzanne and I have experienced some great victories uh, throughout our, our marriage. Um, you know, for us, you know, have, you know being teenage parents and uh, to get to where we are today— you know, there was a lot that we went through, and we had some great victories, and then here we are, standing in probably the darkest moment we ever thought we'd be standing in. And I, I have a choice that I can hide under that broom bush and say, God, end my life now, or I can stand confident in who who God has proven himself to be time and time again. And you know, yeah, my situation isn't the, necessarily, it's not the same situation that a lot of your clients have, but I think they've had they their moments of victory and they feel confident, but then something else comes up in their life that may rattle them or shake their confidence and they get, a, you know, afraid or they have to stand in that dark, you know, maybe they're tempted again with, with usage or whatever it may be, but I, I think, you know, what I'm, got from that one, what my encouragement to whoever's listening is, don't give up. You know, stand in, you you may be going through a dark time or a dark season, but it doesn't mean you have to give up. Continually rely upon God's faithfulness and how He's proven Himself to you over and over and over, even if you don't feel like He has Look to, look, to other examples. You know, whether it's my story or maybe it's the story of of, of someone else. Um, you know, my thing is I want people to know that there is hope out there. Um, you know, I feel very blessed the, with the fact that I have this this awful diagnosis, and I feel hopeful. Um, and I want others with that, whatever they're going through, whatever they're feeling, whatever they're struggling with. You know, I want others to somehow know that there is hope out there for them Um, and find those people who are going to partner with them, you know, and, and, and know that there are people on their side and that there's a great God on their side. It's incredible. How can people stay connected with you? Um, Well, like I said, you know, Suzanne had created a a website for me. um, and, And so that website uh, on there, I, you know, I'm not doing a whole lot. Every now and then I, I post some updates and, um, of, of what's taking place. And my goal is to eventually, uh, you know, start a blog. Um, I haven't started that yet. But uh, that website is uh, love-always-hopes.com. Um, and so you can, you can stay up to date on, you know, as, as I, you know, make updates on there with, with where I'm at. Um also uh you know I, I post stuff on Facebook uh every now and then. Um you know there's uh in September I'm gonna be participating. Um it's with the ALS Association. It's uh it's called um Walk uh, the Walk to Defeat ALS. Um and, and so on my website I actually do have a link to where uh, we're helping to try to raise money that, that goes directly to the uh, the, George, the ALS Association's Georgia chapter. Uh, and so what is so significant about that is that money that goes directly to the Georgia chapter directly affects families here in, in the state of Georgia, such as myself. And they have tons of programs that um, are extremely helpful and beneficial in resources and tools um, that they provide families. Um, of those who are living with, uh, with ALS. Uh, and so if, you know, anybody wanted to, to donate towards that cause, that would be great, but I'm not, um, you know, pushing that. I just throw
0: that out there, but yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, he is on social media. Um, his name is Justin Upchurch. You'll see that, um, on the post that we put out on Facebook. He's one of my friends. So you can follow, you can find him, um, you know, easily through, through connecting with, um, you know, going, going and searching through my friend's group, but I just want to say thank you, man. Yeah, man. Grateful for you.
1: Hey, well, thanks for having me. I I really appreciate you, uh, inviting me and giving me the opportunity to share my story and, and, and share, you know, I think, you know, I told you over lunch that I I want to help spread hope and I don't know how, but, and so I, uh, I thank you for giving me that opportunity to at least share this message um, with your with your audience. Yeah, it's going to help a lot of people,
0: man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call It's 770-570-7422.